Get ready to learn all about America's national parks with National Park Adventures, and I'm your host, Ashley. So strap on your hiking boots and let's hit the trail. Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast. This is episode four, and today we are going to be talking about Haleakala National Park. Now, I just want to preface this. Haleakala is on Hawaii, and Hawaii has um, some very native terms, and I am going to apologize in advance for any mispronunciation that I may have throughout this episode. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in to our park overview. So as I said, this park is located in Hawaii on the island Maui. It is on the eastern side of the island. It's a little over 33,000 acres, of which this is, um, 24,000 of it is wilderness, which is actually really cool. Um, So a lot of it's kind of untouched. This park also has expanded over time. Um, They keep adding more land. And the latest addition was in 2008. This park has also gained a lot of popularity over the past couple years, roughly around 1.2 million visitors a year right now is what it's averaging, but even before COVID, it was pretty low on the visitor scale, so it's definitely starting to ramp up and become a more popular spot. So Haleakala itself is a dormant volcano. The name Haleakala is Hawaiian for the House of Sun, and the local legend is that this is where the demigod Maui imprisoned the sun in order to lengthen the day. And if you've seen the movie Moana, he sings a whole song about this. This park was originally a part of the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, which that one is on the big island of Hawaii. And that national park was created in 1916. But they decided that this area of Hawaii should be its own national park. So it was separated and redesignated as a separate park on July 1st in 1961 which makes this the 29th National Park. The summit is the highest peak on Maui, and it's a little over 10,000 feet, which is a pretty decent mountain. The temps at the summit are typically between 30 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, And something that's very, very interesting is that it's only 12 miles from the park entrance to the summit. So you have a massive elevation gain in a very short amount of time. The park is divided into two main areas. Um, Like I said, a lot of it is wilderness. And so there's really only two areas that you kind of go to. Um, So the summit area is the first one. And it's pretty, I mean, it's the main area that people go to. Um, It's where a lot of the hikes start. And then the other is the coastal Hippalua area. And it's only accessible by the road to Hana, which I'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode. For your entrance fees, there they are $30 per vehicle, $24 per motorcycle, and $15 per bicycle. All of these are valid for three days, and you can purchase them on recreation.gov. Now, one of the big things to do at this park is visit for the sunrise or the sunset. For the sunrise itself, reservations are needed to be made. Um, this, again, is just as them trying to reduce the number of people, and also just kind of filter in when people are coming into the park. Now, reservations are only a dollar, so it is truly just to keep people at bay and not have a massive crowd in the mornings. You can also purchase these on recreation.gov, and these reservations are required if you want to enter the park from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. 
Now, these book up to 60 days in advance, so you can get them, you know, before you go. However, some are saved and released to two days in advance. So if you miss the 60 day and they're all sold out for your day, you may still have a chance to get them. But these will go really, really quickly. So I would definitely recommend knowing when your 60 day in advance day is and putting a reminder on your phone and just making sure you get get those tickets because it is a very, very popular thing to do here. Now, getting to this park is not as easy as just driving if you're close by. So most of the time you will need to fly and your main airport on Maui is the Kil- Kalahuli Airport. Again, I am so sorry for how many things I'm going to pronounce inaccurately on this episode. Uh, this is where most major airlines fly into. I think even Southwest flies into Maui. So you got a lot of options. And then you'll definitely want a rental car. One, Maui is gorgeous to just explore in general, but you'll definitely need it to drive yourself into the park. So let's go back a little bit in time and let's visit some history stuff. For the geology aspect, I'm not going to dive too into this because I am not a science person and I kind of struggle in science, which is why I do not do that for a living. We'll keep it brief. But Haleakala was once an active volcano. It has several eruptions over the last 30,000 plus years. However, scientists do believe that the last eruption is to have occurred between 1480 and 1600, which was a very long time ago. Crater, that is the main like uh, focal point, I guess, of the park, is not an actually like a volcanic origin, nor is it a caldera which a caldera, if you didn't know, which I didn't know either, was formed when a summit of a volcano collapsed to form a depression. So since it's not that, scientists believe that it formed when two headwalls of two large erosional valleys merged at the summit of the volcano. So take that as you will. But the crater itself is actually seven miles across two miles wide and 26,000 feet deep. So it's pretty, pretty good, pretty massive, pretty good to see. Um, So let's go and talk about the early Hawaiians and kind of how the park was established. So the Polynesians were the first humans to visit and settle on the Hawaiian islands between 1000 and 2000 AD. So they were voyagers traveling from island to island and they brought along with them animals and plants, all of these things to the new islands that they were exploring. So they had things, you know, to eat and also to, you know, just accompany them on the journey. So they brought along puas, which are pigs, elio, which are dogs, moa, which are chickens, ulala, I think, are sweet potatoes, uh, niu, which is coconut, Maya is banana, and ko, which is sugarcane. In 1778, Captain Cook arrived at the Hawaiian Islands. Now, he was the first European to visit the islands and connect with the people. And when we visited Hawaii, they did talk a lot about his history. So there is a whole bunch of history with him um, in particular. I'm not going to go into um, too much detail here because it's not necessarily directly related to the park. But if you are interested in that, there is plenty of resources to read up on that. So next up is between the... 1819 and 1850 is when American missionaries started traveling to Maui. And in 1828, that's the first record of an ascent to the summit of Haleakala, which was made by three missionaries. In 1881, sugarcane production flourished in the Kipahula area, 
which is part of the southernish part of the um, park. This brought a ton of immigrants to the area, and the sugarcane production actually continued until the 1920s. In 1898, the Republic of Hawaii is annexed as a territory of the U.S., which later became a state in 1959. So between 1933 and 1935, the road to the summit of Haleakala was built. Now, before the road, travelers had to hike up the mountain or travel by horseback to get to the summit, both of which were very difficult. And they decided, you know, to get more visitors and things like that, it made more sense to build a road. So the road project was headed by Horace Albright, which is a park service director, and Thomas Vint and Merrill S. Sager. They were both um, landscape architects. They had a budget of around 360000 and it took about two years to build the road. Their goal for this was to ensure the road built was the best in terms of engineering standards, but they also want to protect the landscape at the same time. So the road itself is a switchback of sorts from the entrance to the park summit. Um, but the final design did allow, you know, visitors to travel through the beautiful landscape, but they didn't reveal the grand finale, i.e. the crater, until you get to the very end, which is the summit. And then you get out of your car and you walk to the edge. And then that's where you see the, you know, famous view. When this ended in, um, you know, 1935, when it was done, this actually increased visitation to the park by 455%, which I mean, isn't really that shocking considering the fact that most people probably didn't want to either hike it up by themselves or travel by horse. So this was really good for the park. And then they decided to build the visitor center at the summit, which was built in 1936. So the very next year. Something really interesting about this park that I did not know was during World War II, the army actually occupied the park and therefore it was closed to the public from 1941 to 1943. The summit was used for various things, um, including the fixed radar station, which had an aircraft like warning system, a base camp for personnel stationed at the summit and just other various military things. So I thought that that was really interesting. We are going to move now on to what Andrew and I did when we were there. Now, I will preface this. We did also go to another island on our trip to Hawaii, so we did not spend a ton of time in the park. However, um, I would love to go back and spend more time in the park. Um, we, we just had a lot going on. We had a very busy schedule, and we did not have a ton of time, unfortunately. But if I were recommending you to you know, plan a trip... I, I would say at least a good day in the park, um, maybe even two if you can swing it. There's just a lot of trails you could do. Uh, there's some big ones on the summit, which we'll talk about later. There's also some more on the coastal side. And I just, I wish we would have had more time to explore just because it seems really, really cool. But we'll go through the hikes that you can do later. Let's go through what we did. So, like I said, we did not spend maybe more than half a day in this park, but amazing. We woke up really, really early. I don't remember the time, but it had to be like 3 a.m. or maybe 4 at the latest because we wanted to go to the summit to watch the sunrise. And we probably got there about like 30-ish minutes before the sun came up. Um, I will tell you that I brought a jacket because Andrew told me it was going to be cold. I did not bring a heavy enough jacket for said cold. It's just very windy and you know there's no sun yet because you're watching the sunrise and you're up 10,000 feet. It's cold. 
So I would, you know, you think you're going to Hawaii and it's going to be nice and warm. It is down at the bottom. It's not warm at the top. So pack some layers um, for sure. Don't be like me shivering. But then when the sun started coming up, it was so beautiful. Let me tell you, it was awesome. It was something like I've never seen before. Now, I have seen my fair share of sunrises, and sunrises are, in fact, one of my favorite things on this planet. But I had not seen a sunrise like this. The way that it came up over the volcano, and then you see this massive crater, and it's just, it starts, you know, so dark, and the light just starts to get a little brighter, and then a little brighter, and then a little brighter, and it was literally the coolest thing. And, you know, not everybody gets that like perfect sunrise because there's clouds, there's weather, you know, there's all of the things, but we got a gorgeous day and I just feel very, very lucky to have experienced that. And I hope that you guys get the same. Um, So after the sunrise, we just kind of took some pictures and then we went over to the start of Sliding Sands, which is probably the most popular hike that is on, you know, on the, in the park, not on the park, in the park. And we, we walked a little of it. We didn't do very much. We just walked some so we could say that we've done it. Andrew's visited here before. So he actually has done the whole thing, um, with his parents. And he said that he was unprepared for it. I don't know if they really planned on doing the whole thing. I think they started and then decided they were going to do the whole thing. So I would, definitely go prepared because it is a long hike. After we were done just looking around, we drove back down um, to the entrance. And as we did that, there's a lot of overlooks that you can stop and take a really, really small hike, like half a mile. So we did that. um, And the overlooks are beautiful. It's just such a different, um, different view. And I would highly recommend doing that, especially if you don't have a lot of time. Like Andrew and I didn't have a lot of time. So we stopped at these overlooks, got to see all these really cool sites. And we did a few little small hikes, um, you know, around there, but nothing really, really too time consuming or too long. So it was perfect. And something that was just so cool is you're just above the clouds at some of these. And we have this picture up at the summit and literally there is like clouds below us and it is one of my favorite pictures it is just so cool um it just feels like you're on like almost like not like not on earth it's just it's a completely different landscape than I've seen it's just really really cool um we also stopped at the visitor center and headed back down uh we have to stop at the visitor centers so we can get our stamp for our passport and we actually had to wait until it opened thankfully there was a ranger that came by and we were able to ask her if she could go in and stamp it for us because they weren't going to open until like i think it was like nine and i was like we don't have time for that but i was like we have to get the stamp i was like we're not leaving until we get the freaking stamp or else we haven't been here so it was kind of a little stressful so some of the other things you can do in the park are some tour companies. If you're not interested in driving yourself, I looked up some tour companies that do um, sunrise tours. They do summit tours. They can do sunset as well. So these are the places that I looked up. There's Haleakala Eco Tours. They have several options, including the sunrise, summit, and sunset 
All of them are around $210 a person. The Valley Isle Excursions, their only tour is the Sunrise Tour, and it's $240 a person. Skyline Eco Adventures, they have two options. They have the Sunrise, and they have a Sunrise and Zipline Tour, which I think is a pretty good deal because it's only $290. So that's a pretty good deal to do ziplining and a tour. So would recommend that. I haven't taken them personally, but it seems like a pretty good bang for your buck. Um, And then lastly, there's Polynesian Adventure Tours. And the two options there is the Sunrise, which is $225 per person, and Sunset is $190 per person. Now, some of the major popular hikes you can do, we're going to start off at the summit level, which is where the main area is. So the first one is Sliding Sands. This one is about an 11-mile hike, so you definitely need a full day for this. The trailhead is located at the Haleakala Visitor Center parking lot, which is just right down the road. You won't miss it. It's very easy. Um, There are no shuttles at this park, so you need to have a pickup person at the end of the hike. And this um, hike ends at Halameu, which is a little farther down on the road. So if you don't have a pickup person, I would park your car at the Halameu Um, you know, parking area and then either walk up or hitch a ride or something and get yourself back up to the visitor center. So some points of interest on the hike. You could also um, shorten this hike, not necessarily do the 11 mile and just go to one or multiple of these um, and then hike back. So the crater floor is roughly 3.9 miles um, down and this is one way. And that's roughly about a 2,500 elevation gain uh, or change. And the Peels Paint Pot, try saving that five times fast, um, is 5.7 miles in. And this is about the halfway point. Also at 5.7 miles, there's also Kowalini, don't know if I said that right. And this is called the Bottomless Pit. Basically, it's a volcanic pit that is about 65 foot deep. Now, another option you have for a hike is the Lilui, yeah, something like that, overlook. It is around 0.3 miles round trip, so great short option, and only has 100 foot elevation change. Um, the overlook is just a, it's just a very short trail to see the crater. Um, and then you also have the Halemeu Trail, which I believe is the end of Sliding Sands, but I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is. And it's roughly 2.2 miles round trip with a 400 foot elevation gain. Now, this um, is a very rocky path to a crater viewpoint. You can hike 0.25 more miles past the first crater viewpoint, and you can see a rainbow bridge, which is very, very popular. And then past this, is switchbacks to the bottom of the crater, which I believe this is the end of the sliding sands because I remember Andrew telling me that they had to go up a ton of switchbacks at the end and that it was awful. So I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Now, if you're on the coastal side, which is the Kipahula district, you can only get to these hikes by taking Hana Highway, which is also known as the road to Hana. We did do this and we did get to see this side of the park and it is very, very pretty. We did not spend a ton of time because I was very, very overheated and I just needed to be in some AC, but it's really, really cool because they have um, waterfalls down in this area. So you can take the People Wa Trail, which is roughly four miles with an 800 foot elevation change. So a lot less in elevation change. 
and the points of interest on this hike you will see the Makahiku Overlook, which is the Makahiku Falls. And this is only like 0.5 miles into the hike. So, you know, right off the bat, you're getting you're getting a cool view. Um, and then you can see the Bamboo Forest, which is about a mile in. And the Wa- Wamiku Falls is two miles into the hike. And then you turn yourself right back around and there you go. There's your four miles. The other option is the Kalua Point Trail, which we did do this one. Um, it's only a 0.5 mile round trip hike, so not not very bad. And this is really popular because you can view the pools of Oyu, which is also called the Seven Sacred Pools. You can swim in these, but sometimes they are closed due to like hazardous congi- conditions. So it just kind of depends on the time of year you're there, um, you know, just the weather when you're there. Ours were actually empty. There was not a lot of water. They just didn't have a lot of rainfall. So there just wasn't any water in them, which is kind of sad, but you could see the pools and it looked cool. So kind of diving into something new this time, I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about the animals and plants that you can see on your trip. And this is not something I, you know, typically look for when I'm in a park. I typically, you know, am more of the mountains type of thing, but there is something to be said about appreciating the, you know, animals that are there because they are getting preserved in this, you know, habitat. And there is a lot of very unique ones in Hawaii, particularly. So I thought it was kind of cool. We're going to talk about two different types of birds. The first bird is the nine, which is a Hawaiian goose, and it's also the Hawaii state bird. This is an endangered species. And think about the size as like a medium, medium sized goose. It has a black head um, and a black bill black tail, black legs, all with like webbed feet. Um, And the length is about 25 inches um, from, you know, head to tail. And most of the time you're going to see this bird on Haleakala between the 5,500 feet range and 8,000 feet. So definitely more towards the summit than the coastal side. The other bird is the Ueu, which is a Hawaiian petrel, also an endangered species. And it kind of looks like a seagull with a black beak. It's about 16 inches head to tail and the head, wings, and tail are all black, but it has a white belly and a white forehead. Um, and this bird you're also more likely to see at the 7,000 to 10,000 feet range. These I thought were really, really cool. The plants that are on um, the top of Haleakala are so freaking cool. They're called silver swords. And this is the only place in the world that they grow, which is just mind-boggling to me. Now, these, in my mind, have a shape like a fried blooming onion. If you've ever gotten those at a restaurant, you know, they come out and it's just like this big bowl and it's like these onion straws are sticking out. That's basically what a silver sword looks like, except it's a plant and it has green in the middle and then it has like silvery tips. And these plants can live close to like 90 years if they're properly protected and taken care of and things like that. So it's a really cool, um, and you can see like small baby ones, and you can see really big ones. It, it was just really cool to see those. So my favorite thing about the park itself is just you're so high up in elevation um, and you get to see almost like an out of this world kind of place. And I just really enjoyed how different it was. I thought that that was really, really cool. So some restaurants that you can eat at, there is not any um, food in the park. So these places are pretty close to the park, but not like, you know, right next. So it's probably about like 15 minutes away. 
So the first one is Kalua Lodge, which is pretty close to the entrance. It has a gorgeous view and just a fun little vibe. It's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we went there for breakfast after exploring, you know, around, and it was perfect. It was not very busy. They have a cute little gift shop, and it was it was just a cute vibe. And you're still up in the, you know, mountain a little. You're not like back down, you know, by the beach or anything. So you're still getting some really cool views. Um, and something that's also really close to them is the Kula Bistro. So also very close to the park. They're also open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Also a good option. The last one I found was Kalua Sandalwoods. This is like a little cafe. Um, and again, these are all about 3,000 feet in elevation. So still has really good views. This one is only open though for breakfast and lunch. And I think it's also maybe like an inn. So also an option for places to stay. So that leads into where I would recommend you stay. If you're looking at the park, I'm not going to go into where to stay in Hawaii because there are so many things in Maui you could do and it kind of depends on what you want to do. So we're just going to talk about the places you could stay within Haleakala. So there's two options. The first option is wilderness cabins. Now these are remote cabins within the park that are only accessible by trail. So if you are really adventurous, this is for you. This Honestly, I wish I would have known about this beforehand because I probably would have convinced Andrew to do this because this sounds so much fun. But you hike yourself to this little cabin and you just stay there and then you can just hike around and that just sounds awesome. There's also not bears on Hawaii, so I don't have to worry about bears like I did in Glacier. So it seems like a great idea. The cost is also only $75 a night, so super cheap. And you um, can only stay for three nights though. That's the three night maximum. That's what they have. Um, so that way other people can enjoy it. You can make these reservations um, up to six months in advance on recreation.gov. There's also, you can also stay on some campgrounds. So they have the Hosmer Grove and the Kipahula Campground. Both of these cost around eight to $9 per night. Also have a three night maximum stay. And the reservations are also on recreation.gov, open six months in advance. So my tips or tricks to the park are, it's significantly cooler than on the beach. So pack some layers, bring a coat, maybe some gloves, maybe a hat. It just kind of depends on how cold you are as a person. I fa- I get cold fairly easily. That's just, just my how my body works. And so I should have brought more layers. So just learn from my mistake. There's also very limited parking within the park. I noticed that we were there so early, especially for sunrise, that we were fine but there is not a lot of parking. And again, there's not shuttles in this park. So if you're wanting to do any sort of hiking, especially sliding sands, please get there early or else you're going to be sitting there waiting for a parking spot. And I would hate that for you. Also pack plenty of snacks, especially if you're hiking a long trail, like sliding sands or anything like that. There's not food sold within the park. So you're definitely going to want to pack some snacks and plenty of water. There are, um, water stations at the visitor center so you can fill up there they just don't have food 
Um, and then some book recommendations for you. I didn't really use a book for this. We weren't really there that long to use them, but I did find some that I thought were interesting and wanted to recommend to you. And I will link these in the show notes as always. Um, the first one I found was The Adventure Handbook to Haleakala National Park by Aaron Rodriguez. This is a new book, actually. It just came out in January of 2023. So that's so cool. And it's only $12 on Amazon. And the other one is just a map of Haleakala, but I think it's super important, especially if you're doing hiking, to have one of those. Or if you're hiking out to one of, you know, the wilderness cabins, you're definitely going to want a map. And this one's only $15 on Amazon. And I have some links to the show in the show notes for all of the tour companies I mentioned, the restaurants and the National Park website directly to Haleakala. So I think that's all I have for you guys today. But thank you so much for listening to the episode. And I hope I inspired you to go visit this national park. Have a good rest of your day, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something new about America's national parks. If you enjoyed my show, please consider leaving a review. I would really appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll catch you next time.